Hello and welcome to episode 31 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on May 7th, 2017. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am also 50% of the show. With me, as always, is Brad Galloway, who is the editor at Game Critics. How are things going, Brad? Going uh, really well, man, really well. Happy to be joining you on this Sunday. I always look forward to this time of the week, and I am very excited to uh, talk about stuff. Awesome, me too. And we have a jam-packed show tonight for everyone. Uh, Brad and I are going to be discussing about a million games, maybe like two million, and we're going to squeeze in some banter at the start. And we're going to do some listener comments and questions uh, before we talk about uh, the game stuff. So why don't we get this ball rolling pretty quickly with banter, Brad? I know last week we subbed in listener comments and questions in place of banter. So we have not really chatted uh, for banter-wise in about two weeks. We have a lot of shit to catch up on. What is new with you, Brad? Man, so much, so much. And before we be, we launch into this, I, I do want to let people know... I've, I'm so surprised uh, that banter is so popular. Like, <laughs> I, I never would have guessed, but, like, pretty much every comment we've gotten has been love the banter, want more banter, keep the banter. So um, I, we hear you loud and clear. Like, it's I wasn't sure about it. I don't know if we were both sure about it, but the audience has let us know. Like, they want the banter. So if you are one of the people who does not like the banter, I'm so sorry, but uh, we did not hear from you. Every single person said they love it. So... <laughs> We're doing the banter. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so what's up, what's up with me? Uh, I don't know, not much, and yet a lot at the same time. I think today I've been really preoccupied with uh, taking care of my son. I think he's coming down with something, uh, which is not great because taking care of a sick child is it's terrible because they feel so bad and they're usually so young that they don't quite have their self-care techniques down. And so they don't quite know how to make themselves feel better. They haven't really developed like a system, you know, that you, you develop after you've been sick multiple times over the years. And, you know, I mean, any good parent would, would probably rather be sick than rather have their child be sick. So we've been taking care of my son today. It's nothing serious. He got up with like a little bit of a sore throat and, uh, you know, very well known to me when I was a kid, I had like a sore throat, like at least once a week, it was like the bane of my existence, just really, really bad. So it's probably genetic. We hooked him up with a bunch of liquids, taking care of him, all this stuff. And I'm doing everything I can to not get sick myself because, uh, you know, modern America, uh, I don't have any sick leave. I don't have any vacation time, no PTO, anything like that. If I don't work, I don't get paid. So taking time off for work is just not a thing that happens. Uh, doing my best to hold it off. And one of the things that I do to keep disease at bay, um, I would I would throw this out to people. Maybe uh, I'll throw this out to you, Corey. Throw this out to the audience. Uh, Corey, are you a fan of uh, Vietnamese food? Uh, I don't know that I've ever had it a whole lot. I can't recall recently. Um, so maybe, I don't know. Have you ever had uh, pho, the uh, noodle noodle bowl dish that's so popular here in Washington? I have had it like two times, I think. And honestly, I think I prefer like ramen to it, but they're very similar meals. Um, so I've had it before, but it's not my absolute favorite. Okay, yeah. So you kind of the same thing. It's basically like a big bowl of noodles, um, usually made with like a beef uh, broth, and it's uh, topped with uh, different types of meats. 
I think traditionally it's beef. Uh, I prefer it veggie, although chicken is good sometimes or tofu, whatever. Anyway, we have a pretty good place that's near our house. And whenever we feel something coming on, I go down and instead of just getting the whole noodle bowl, which I mean, it's delicious, but uh, I just get the broth. I just get like a big pot of the broth. They make it in like these giant stew pots in the back. And uh, they always give me a funny look because I'm not getting noodles or anything else, just the broth. But you bring it home, you put it in a coffee mug, you put like a little bit of sriracha in there, like you stir it up, and man, that thing, you know, it's it's not going to cure cancer or anything, but man, it does <laughs> it does really well at keeping like colds at bay and sore throats at bay. It's miracle stuff. I really like it a lot. So that is a tip that I would uh, hand out to people who may be fighting off uh, whatever viruses are going around now. And also, if you ever need something to keep you up at night, and you don't want to have coffee because you're going to have to eventually go to sleep. If you get a hot mug of that stuff, I guarantee you are not falling asleep when you're drinking that. That will keep your ass up. <laughs> so try that next time you need to stay awake. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, people say maybe not so much these days, but when we were coming up, uh, people would say that games don't really have a lot of real world applications like like, you know, you're wasting your time and games don't do anything. I think that's been proven to be bunk. I mean, I think that games actually do a lot. And one of the prime applications that I have discovered uh, after playing games for like 30 odd years is that after playing Tetris for uh, for so long, I've gotten really good at Tetris. I haven't played for a while, but I really love Tetris a lot. And uh, when I come home, I find that that applies to the real world because uh, whenever we go shopping, uh, my wife is like, oh, my God, I can't fit anything else in the fridge. Honey, can you do something? And I'm like, yes, I can. Watch <laughs> this. And I move shit around. I move stuff to the left. I move stuff to the right. I move. I push stuff back and I move it all around. And like it always fits. And every time I do that, I'm like, you know what? It's because I played Tetris all these years. That is exactly what it is. Do you do? Do you do refrigerator Tetris, Corey? Do you have that skill? Uh, I do a little bit, but that actually makes me think of, um, whenever I first started, I worked at, I think I've mentioned like 10 times on the show, I used to work at Target. And whenever I very first started working at Target, I was like 16, first job, you know, middle of high school. And I was, uh, I spent about half my time doing carts and half my time uh, cashiering. And I remember applying the Tetris rules to bagging people's uh, items uh, whenever I was a cashier. And I distinctly even remember telling my, my manager, my GSTL, they call him at Target, um, that during everyone's first or second interview at Target, if you're supposed to be a cashier, they should just sit you down with Tetris and make you play it. So that way, like, you could bag groceries and, like, clothes and cosmetics and stuff like just like you do in Tetris to make it all fit properly in the bags. So yeah, totally, totally use Tetris in my uh, in my refrigerator and whenever I used to cashier at Target. There you go. Perfect real world application. I guarantee I have used my Tetris skills way more than I've ever used <laughs> fucking like trigonometry or any of that shit that they tell you is going to be useful. Bullshit. No, no, no. Freezer Tetris, though, that is really a useful <laughs> skill. So that should be a fucking class in high school. Um, just one more thing really quickly, and I'll turn it over to you. I just wanted to give kind of an announcement. I am thrilled. I am thrilled to announce that uh, I was invited to be a guest on the Bonfireside Chat podcast. Uh, we're going to be recording next week. Have you heard of Bonfireside, Corey? Do you ever listen to it? I have heard of it, but I've never listened to it. Well, that is run by uh, Cole and Gary. Uh, these are two guys who are basically the core of the DuckFeed podcast network. They put out, it seems like, 85,000 podcasts a week. Those guys are always recording something. I'm a real huge fan of theirs. Um, and Bonfireside Chat is specifically the show that has covered the Dark Souls series. So they go through um, all of the Souls games and they just like 
tear it apart. Like they each area, they go in the backstory of the characters. They go like on uh, you know lore theories and different. Te- I mean, just the deepest dive around. I mean, uh, if there's a show that goes deeper, I don't know what it is. So these guys really know their shit. And now that Dark Souls is over, they're kind of doing like a victory lap with Bonfireside. Um, covering a few Souls likes and just kind of wrapping up uh, related things before they put the show to rest since the Soul series is over. And I was so excited to uh, be invited to be on the show next week. Um, the Souls like that they are going to cover is one of my favorite games of all time, Let It Die. So I'm thrilled to be able to talk about that game uh, with those guys. And from what I gather, I don't think either one of them likes it very much. So I may be the only <laughs> positive voice on that show. I'm glad they got someone to represent uh, that that game in a good light. So uh, a little bit nervous because those guys are sharp and they make a lot of funny jokes. And I'm afraid I'm going to sound like an idiot on that show, but I'm going to do my best <laughs> to represent not only Let It Die, but to represent So Video Games and to not be a moron on the show. But uh, whatever happens, happens. And I'm really, really psyched. So if you uh, want to hear me on another podcast or if you are... A listener of Bonfire Side, or you just want to be uh, opened up to a whole new world of podcasting, uh, I will be on that show next week. And I don't know what their editing process is, so I'm guessing that episode will probably up in two weeks, give or take. But those guys are machines; they get it done. So if you like Let It Die, if you like uh, Souls, if you like Gary and Cole, I will be on that show, and I can't wait. And that's going to do it for my uh, my banter. Um, that's really exciting. Um, I also so like that. That is very cool, and I'm very happy for you. But do you ever have those moments like, um, you know, because I know you're a huge fan of Let It Die, and maybe the moment has just recently hit you, or maybe it hasn't hit you, or maybe it will whenever you're recording the show. But do you have that moment with this game or with other games where at a certain point, because I know you love this game and you've played it a ton, and you've, like, um, you've talked to... Have you talked to any of the developers from the game yet? Yeah, I have actually. I uh, met them in person and we've talked uh, multiple times. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So has the moment hit you yet where you have like taken a step back and thought like, man, maybe I know more about this game from like a fan perspective, like a non-development perspective than either like anyone else or maybe like most people. Like, has that hit you yet, Brad? No, and that's not going to hit me because I know that 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 I don't like. That's that's actually one of the things causing me some some uh, some stress about this because I love the game and I know a lot about it. But uh, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I finished the game. I mean, I completely finished it uh, in I want to say February, and I just kind of didn't touch it since then because it was eating up all of my free time, and I knew that they were going to be having more content coming. So I'm like, well, I'll put this game aside. I'll come back to it when the new content hits and I'll jump back in and I'll be fresh and I won't be burned out. So a lot of stuff has happened in the time that I put the game down and now. So I'm a little bit shaky on the updates, but also, I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, Darren Foreman, who is another staff writer at Game Critics, dude, he knows even more about the game than I do. Like I'm constantly asking him for questions and advice. And I'm like, oh God, like I got to I got to bone up on some shit. I got to know what's going on. <laughs> I'm like, I'm deathly afraid they're going to ask me a question and I don't know the answer. And I, I asked them, I'm like, Hey, you guys, like, what do you want me to know before I come on the show? What should I, what should I, you know, brush up on? I'm like, Oh, whatever. We'll just roll with it. And I'm like, <laughs> see now I got a little kind of a side story. Um, a while ago. Okay. So a long time ago, uh, before destiny was released, uh, I was actually contracted to, uh, do a piece for wired. And I went down to Bungie to cover destiny for wired. And 
I did that. And then after that was over, NPR got in touch with me and they wanted to talk to me. They wanted me to be on the radio. And I was like, oh my God, I've never been on NPR. That's amazing, right? So the guy called and he's like, yeah, let's talk about Destiny. We'll talk about all this stuff. And I'm like, fine, fine, fine. Awesome. What what are you going to ask? Like, what do I need to know? He's like, oh, you know, nothing. I'll just ask you about the game. We'll just kind of roll with it. And uh, I'm like, you don't want me to prep anything. You don't want me to do any research for you. No, 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 it's good. It's good. We'll just come on, come on NPR. We'll talk about it. Okay. So I go... <laughs> The day of the interview comes, I'm nervous as shit because I'm like, oh, my God, it's a national radio program. I do not want to sound like a fucking idiot. So, like, we get in the interview and I'm like, hey, hey, how's it going? Hey, OK. First thing he asked me, hey, Brad, how many copies did Halo sell? I'm like, what? I don't fucking know. I'm like, I'm like, oh, I had no idea. And, like, it just went fucking downhill from there. I was like, oh, my God. He asked me all these factual questions. That required like a hard data answer. And I had no idea because he told me he wasn't going to be asking those. So I was really embarrassing. Um, I felt like I totally boned the whole interview and I was just like mortified. Right. So we ended up talking for like it was probably about 20 minutes uh, on the phone. I think he was in New York at the time. And then when the piece aired, like he aired, I think it was like 4.2 seconds of that whole interview. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, it was it was a nightmare. And I, after that happened, I never wanted that to happen again. So I, that's why I was asking these guys like, Hey man, what do you want to know about? Let it die. I want to be prepared. And they said nothing. So we will see if I have another, um, you know, face palm incident or if it goes smoothly, we'll see, but no, to answer your question, and I apologize for taking such a roundabout path. Uh, <laughs> No, there's people who know that game way more inside and out. There's people who are way better than me, um, you know, even as close as Darren, who's on the side. He knows way more about the game than I do. I mean, I love it. I'm a big cheerleader for that game, and I'm, I'm happy to represent, but I am I am far from being the expert. So I'll just, I'll, I'm going to do the best I can. We'll see what happens. Uh, as soon as we finish the show, I'm going to email those guys, and I'm going to be like, all right, all right. First question you have to ask Brad is how many downloads have been downloaded to this game? Nah. How many how many paid packs have been downloaded? What is the uh, second assistant art director's name for the game? And I'm just going to go on from there and try to embarrass you as much as I can on the show. Oh god, it wouldn't take much either. Like as soon as they need <laughs> some kind of hard data, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be dead in the water. But fingers crossed that doesn't happen. They're nice guys or at least they appear to be nice guys from the episodes I've listened to, so we shall see. And actually don't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> enough about me man enough about me i've talked for way too long Corey, what is what is up with you what do you got in your banter section this week uh i have uh, been living an incredibly boring life for the past two weeks um i like okay so just to like set the the scene of my lavish life very quickly my uh it seems like okay i like talking about new orleans i'm going to talk about new orleans in a few minutes but i want to touch a few things first but um, we have uh, a few reader comments, actually, which we'll address in a little bit about how they're like interested in listening to my move process in New Orleans and everything. And I mean, it is pretty fascinating, but I just want to um, prep my first piece with saying that my, my life lately, because Patrick is working nights and I have sort of like acclimated to his nighttime schedule that I like am not doing shit right now in New Orleans. Like I, I pretty much for the past like five days, I wake up at about 6 p.m., and I like make a meal and then I've been playing a video game lately. It's been Prey, which we'll talk about later. I play it pretty much like all night until he comes home from work at like seven, like between six and seven in the morning. And then we like sit around and watch like an episode of Star Trek and eat and then go to bed at like between like nine and 10 a.m. So that's been my life recently. But 
I want to touch on a few things. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I went to... I, I talk about fucking photographing parkour and skateboarding all the time, and I'm really sorry about it, so I'll make this quick. But uh, I photographed... I went to Baton Rouge, which is about an hour and a half away from New Orleans, or from where I live in New Orleans, to photograph some dudes uh, for a uh, parkour jam called We Jump the World Day. And this uh, celebrates David Bell, who is one of the founding fathers of parkour, um, celebrates his birthday. David Bell is super famous. He was in uh, the District B-13 movies, if anybody uh, is familiar with those. Those were like some French parkour action films that came out gosh, probably like a decade ago, but they were, um, they were pretty famous and they kind of like set the scene for parkour in like Hollywood, if you will. And they made a remake of the movie with Paul Walker about six years ago or so, maybe five years ago. Um, but David Bell was also in that. And the remake of course was totally like superfluous, but that's beside the point. Um, I photographed, uh, we jumped the world day is David Bell's birthday. If I didn't say that, so that we, uh, there's like a jam on his birthday across the country, basically where everybody in the community meets up. I went to Baton Rouge, photographed those dudes. I had a lot of fun. Um, I doubt any of the guys that I photographed are listening to the show, but if you are, thank you guys for inviting me. I had a good time. Um, I also photographed a skate park opening in New Orleans. You would think, um, this will slightly lead into my next segment, you would think that for New Orleans, like, it would be, like, really urban and, like, lots of stuff to do and, like, you know, a bunch of skate parks and, like, all this crap. But New Orleans only has one skate park um, in the entire city, and I, it's pretty cool though. It's a good skate park. It's like directly under like a highway overpass. So when you're skating on it, the highway's literally like, uh, like a couple hundred feet above your head. But they opened a second skate park here um, called Wentwood. I always get that name wrong because I always say Westwood or I say Wentworth, but it's Wentwood Skate Park here in Kenner, which is like northwest of uh, New Orleans proper. And I went out to photograph that, their grand opening a couple weeks ago, which was a lot of fun. And I got a lot of really good shots. And some of the guys who uh, helped set up the park and run it um, asked me to come back and photograph some more stuff later, which I probably will if they have any more events. But that sort of leads me into um, New Orleans stuff about maybe how the city is not exactly what you think it is. Because when I moved here, I thought, okay, it's New Orleans. Like, there's shit to do all the time. Everything's, like, late night and fun and... You know, it's like a big city because I moved here from Omaha and Omaha is a big city, but it's not like a big city. And I grew up outside of Kansas City and Kansas City and Omaha are like, I mean, they're not the same size, but they sort of have similar feels in my opinion. Kansas City is bigger and mazier, but that's beside the point. Um, one thing, a few things I've learned about New Orleans so far uh, about living here is unless you were right in the meat of like downtown New Orleans, and I live about 20 minutes west of New Orleans proper. Um, I live in Jefferson, which is like a parish. They don't have counties here, in case you know what counties are anywhere else in the United States. They don't have counties here, they have parishes here, which is like an old religious thing. Um, <clears throat> and that sort of reflects like the southern tones of the city as well, because I moved here thinking that there would be something to do like all the time. But the weird thing about New Orleans is, or about the area outside of New Orleans, is everything closes really early here, which, re which reflects the fact that it's in the South. Like, everywhere I've lived my entire life, every Walmart around me has been open for 24 hours, and I'm a total night owl. So if I, like, if it's 2 in the morning and I'm like, hey, I want some ice cream or something, like, I could just go hit up Walmart if I needed to, or, like, a gas station or something and get... Uh, and get whatever I needed. The Walmart that's closest to us here closes at like 10 or 11 p.m., which is totally strange for me. The Target that is a little bit farther away closes at midnight, which is even stranger to me because everywhere I've lived, Target's closed at like 10 or 11. The closest one here is open till midnight. 
So I've really had to like readjust my life a little bit for New Orleans because shit closes early here and I'm not used to it. And unless you're like in downtown New Orleans where like sort of like our strip is where all the bars and stuff are. I mean, we have a handful of bars themselves that are open 24 hours here, which is kind of insane, but they're all like in New Orleans proper. So um, I don't know. It's taken me a little while to get used to stuff here. And also the beer scene here is like terrible. I love beer and I'm into it. Um, the beer scene here is not very good, which is extremely disappointing for me. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Those are some of my like general impressions about New Orleans in case people, cause I've listeners have mentioned that they are interested in me talking about New Orleans. So those are some early impressions about New Orleans. I've only been here for about a month, a month and a half. So, uh, I don't know. Those are some things I have to say, Brad, what do you, what say you? You know, that's kind of interesting. I would have thought that it would have been a little bit more of um, a kind of a night city. But I mean, I got to say, it doesn't really surprise me because I'm not like a world traveler or anything. Like I'm not like super traveled, but I've been to a few places and it seems like more often than not, like every time I go to a city, I automatically assume that the new city that I'm visiting has more action than the city that I'm from. Like, I guess that's just like a, it's like a grass is greener kind of thing. Like I think there's more nightlife everywhere else other than where I am. And so... I can remember a few times going to other places and being like, everything's like really closed and just early. And sometimes even on the weekends, stuff is really closed. And it just kind of throws me for a loop because I just, I just kind of assume that I live in like the quietest place. Um, so yeah, I mean, it does, it makes sense to me. And especially kind of uh, knowing the people that I know from the South and what they've told me about it before. I mean, that doesn't really surprise me too much. I guess it kind of just ends up being that whenever you go to a city or at least the ones I've been to, uh, the nightlife consists of like a couple of bars and like, you know, I kind of expect it to be more like New York where at least on TV, like you see restaurants are open and people are walking around and stuff's happening and it seems like there's stuff that you can do at any time, but maybe that's only New York. I don't, you know, maybe that's just not anywhere else, or at least in America. I don't know about international. Maybe it's, maybe it's like that in other countries, but yeah, I, I, I hear you, man. I guess you got to just kind of, you know, plan accordingly. You can't do your 24 hour ice cream runs anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, um, it's been a very depressing turn of events for me lately, not being able to go out and get ice cream at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, that would kind of bum me out too, because, you know, back in the day, um, that's not my schedule now, but I have lived that schedule. And in fact, if I had my way, that would be my schedule. So me and the wife, uh, she's a night owl too. Uh, and we would be, we would be doing that stuff all the time. We would go out. I mean, we, uh, we would be out at all hours. So, I mean, I hear you. I feel that pain. I mean, I'm not living that life right now, but I, I miss that life for sure. And knowing that it's not an option is kind of a bummer. So I don't know, man, they're going to force you into like a normal routine, I guess. I know. Now one of these days, whenever I get a real job, things are going to get even worse for me and I'm going to be like an adult all over again. (laughs) Oh, real life, man. What a bitch. Totes. Well, um, before we get too depressing here and talking about real life, um, let's jump over to some listener comments and questions. Do you want to do that, Brad? Let us do that. Yeah, let me, uh, (laughs) let's talk about this. Let's start off. We got a number of comments from our last show. And I really, you know, we've mentioned many times that we love getting comments. We are, we want to be as interactive as possible. We want to hear from people who hear us. We just love it. It's great. So a couple of comments. You want to read the first two? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, We get two brief comments from, and I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing this. It's Mikhail London. Uh, and he is at Mikhail London. It's M-I-K-A-E-L uh, on Twitter. Um, two comments on two separate but slightly related topics. The first one, 
uh, I believe was about the kids' games uh, recommendations that we gave out for PS4 on the last episode. Uh, Mikhail says, My four-year-old started out with Angry Birds, Star Wars, and Race the Sun. At five, he plays Spelunky, Shovel Knight, and A Boy and His Blob. And I'm like, whoa, dude, like those are <laughs> those are tough games. Um, I can't say that I've played Angry Birds Star Wars. I assume it's kind of just like another Angry Birds with skin on it. But Race the Sun is hard. It's a really cool game, but it's hard. Uh, Spelunky, also famous for being hard. Shovel Knight, I found that to be fairly challenging at points. And A Boy and His Blob, that is hard because I think it's not very well made, but I think it's hard. <laughs> uh, so, man, you must have a pretty hardcore kid. That's awesome. Um you know, when you said that, it made me think of my own son, my oldest son. Uh, he lives with his mom, but when he would come out to spend the summers with me, like we would spend a lot of time playing games together. And one of our, our favorite games to play together was Monster Hunter, which is also a series that's known for, for being fairly difficult. Um, and when he was younger, uh, I got him his own uh, 3DS and he G-ranked in Monster Hunter. Uh, I don't know if uh, people who don't listen to... Uh, Monster Hunter stuff, maybe don't know, but G-Rank is like, at, at the time, that was the highest that you could go in Monster Hunter. So, like, he and I were doing, like, the hardest, most difficult quests together, and that was one of my most fond memories, actually, like, of that those couple of summers when we would just, like, spend every night questing and going after monsters and crafting armor and stuff. Like, it was just really good times, and it kind of blew me away because I never thought that he would be able to um, keep up at that level, but he kept surprising me. He would just, every time we would get to a, a harder monster. Like he might get smacked around at first, but like he never gave up and he kept going. And like, there would be times when I would go to tuck him in and like, he would be like playing uh monster hunter in bed and he would be like grinding some really hard monster. Like the next day he would have like the full suit of armor made from that monster. And I'd be like, what, what the hell? Like how, where'd you get that? Like, I don't even have that. What's going on. Um, so it just kind of shows like kids are so resilient and so tough and they can really meet a lot of the challenges that we set for them even if we don't think they can so i mean hearing your kids play those games i'm totally impressed i believe it and i think that's awesome so yeah man excellent excellent tori did you uh did you play a lot of really like hard games as a kid like do you looking back now did you have that propensity um i you know i don't i don't know i feel like the hardest thing because a lot of games whenever we were growing up just the fact, and I talked about this a little bit on the last show about like, you know, SNES and Nintendo games were just hard because they didn't have like the kind of accommodations that we have nowadays for games. Like you had to like write down a password if you died or you only had like, you know, two lives and no regenerating health. And a lot of those like old school um, sort of, uh, I don't know, I guess like tropes in games. So, I mean, I'm sure the games I played were naturally hard, but I don't know if I had the patience to like, super duper grind on games like that whenever I was younger, but I also can't really remember exactly um, like what I was playing around that time. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But I will kind of give you that one because, you know, knowing those games, a lot of those games are way too fucking hard, like ridiculous hard. So I'm going to, I'm going to put a yes column uh, for you there. (laughs) Um, Moving on to Mikhail's next comment. Uh, This was about the SNES classic. These were actually topics that were put forward by uh, Jeroen who uh, is currently living in the land of beer, Germany. Uh, so this was kind of uh, tangent tangent from his topics. Uh, so responding to Jeroen's topic, which was something that I responded to, or anyway, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Mikhail says, uh, regarding SNES Classic, for my son, it's not about completing a game. It is the fun of playing. In that sense, SNES games are perfect. So yeah, right on. I mean, I definitely, I, I am more of a completion person. Like I feel like, if I don't finish a game, then 
some integral part of that experience is missing for me. Like if I like a game, I really, 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 really want to finish it. It's really rare when I can like walk away from a game without completing it and still feel like either a, I liked it or B it was a well-made game. Um, but I know that I'm just bent that particular way. Uh, but I get that. I get that sense of just playing for the fun of playing. Corey, are you a completionist or are you okay? Just like playing something and then walking away and calling it good. Um, I think I'm kind of with you on it. If I like a game, I definitely will try to finish it. Um, if I don't like a game, I mean, we've talked about this on the show before, like you and I both, <clears throat> you know, we can spend an hour with a game and if we don't like it, then, you know, we give up and move on. Or sometimes, you know, it'll turn out that I like a game a lot and then the more I play it, the less I like it and I give up on it. Or a game is mediocre and then I like it less as it goes on and I stop playing it. But I mean, if I like a game, I definitely do my best to finish it because, if I mean, if I'm enjoying the experience, why wouldn't I? True. You know, that's kind of what I think, too. I think, like, if you like a game, why would you not finish it? And if you get to a part of the game that it makes you not want to play anymore, then I feel like that's kind of like a flaw in the game. Like, either it went on for too long or they made a design mistake that kind of lost the mojo. Or, I mean, it, ideally, you would want to see something through the end. So, I mean, that's kind of my take on it. Maybe that's that's a pretty good topic, though. I guess I would like to hear from people who are listening. Um do you feel that's true? Like, do you feel like if there's a game that you like, do you feel that it is true? You should be able to finish it. Like if you don't finish a game, do you still like it? Do you feel like there's a problem if you don't want to finish it? I, I would be curious to hear what people think. Um, but you know, it's interesting because my son, my younger son, <clears throat> excuse me, he is not really a completionist. I mean, he's pretty young. He just turned eight uh, a couple days ago, actually three days ago, actually he had a birthday. Uh, so he plays a lot of games and because, you know, I am a, a critic and my wife plays a ton of games, we just, ha we're surrounded by games constantly. So he's got like this, like wonderland of games to choose from. So he bounces around and I don't like force him to sit down and finish anything. And he doesn't really have that desire to finish anything. So I wonder, I wonder if it comes from our upbringing, because I don't know about you, Corey, but back in the day, we did not have a lot of money. We weren't poor, but we were not like rich. I'll tell you that. Like we did not have a whole lot of money to go around. And so when I got a game, like when I bought one, it was kind of a special event. And so you, you know, we kind of played it and finished it because that was kind of like all we had until the next time we bought a game. And who knows when that was going to be, or until we rented one, um, you know, cause you could do that back then. And you know, when I saved up the five bucks, sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't, but like you would get this game and you would want to play it. So I think that maybe my, my feeling of completion, perhaps, comes from like that scarcity of games when I was younger. And maybe my son who is surrounded by more games than he could ever play does not feel that same need because he's got more than he could ever play. I mean, I don't know. What about you, Corey? Do you think, did you have similar upbringings? Like, did you just like buy a game and had to finish that before you got something else or, or did you have lots of games around? Well, I had, I was a big, big, big fan of renting, renting video games. And Anybody who's old enough who's listening to this show to remember good old Blockbuster. I was Blockbuster's best friend whenever I was a kid. And uh, and the good news is my mom really likes watching movies. So pretty much like every weekend, we would go to Blockbuster together and she would rent two or three movies and I would rent like one or two games and I would play them. And I remember uh, I, I was really big into like replaying games whenever I was younger. And every time... I went to Blockbuster, I would always have a really hard time deciding, okay, do I want to rent this game that I know I love, that I've already beaten, that I would like to play more, 
Or do I want to take a chance and rent this other game that I've never played before that might end up being a piece of shit? Uh, and that was sort of like the dilemma I always had because I generally finished most games I feel like that I played. And then from there, I had to decide, okay, do I want to rent the same one again because I know I like it? Or do I want to take a chance on something new that might be great or might be terrible? That's interesting because we went to Blockbuster or we also had like Hollywood video. We also had Tinseltown video. We had a number of video stores in our in our town um, and we would do that same thing. But it was kind of different because uh, coming up, my brother and I were both really good at games. And we also had some friends that were nearby that would come over and we were all fairly good at games. And so whenever we rented something like on the weekend, it was pretty sure that we were going to beat it before the weekend was over. I mean, number one, games were just not that long back in the day with with some exceptions. I mean, if we got like final fantasy or something like that like we would have to stay up like all night but we would still do our best to like finish it you know as if we could but if we didn't finish it and if we liked it then we would we would rent that one again until we finished it but like like we kind of alluded to earlier like you mentioned back in those days uh you know you did not have a save file Uh, i mean if you did it was on the cartridge and so if somebody else rented it you could you know rest assured they were going to save over your file and if it was a password, you had to make sure, you, number one, you wrote the password down correctly. And number two, that you could find the password when you <laughs> rented that game again. And who knew when you were going to rent that again? So if we, if we liked it, we would rent something until we beat it. And then we would never rent it again. We would go on to something else. But uh, we never did like the comfort uh, comfort gaming of where it was just like something that we knew was good. Once we beat it, we were, we were done. Um, kind of a side note, though multiple side notes in tonight's uh, banter <laughs> and comments. Um, there actually was a for real honest to God video store uh, a couple blocks up from my house. Uh, it was called rain city video. And I thought it was just the coolest fucking thing because, you know, I, I mean, I don't know about where you are, but actual like video stores are really rare these days. I mean, I think there's one or two more that are near me a little further out, but this one was really close to my house. I took my kids up there um, we would walk up on a sunny day and there's like an ice cream parlor right next door. So we would get some ice cream and then we'd go in the video store. And like, it was such a treat for me because that was such a big part of my, my childhood, like spending so much time in video stores, renting games and movies. And that is just like totally foreign to them. They were, you know, the first time we, I took them in there, they were like, what, what is this? What are all these, <laughs> what are all these movies doing here? What do you do here? And like, for real, like they just were kind of blown away by like all the sections and all the, the choices and, you know, it was really cool to show them that kind of like history. And, you know, I, those things are going the way of the dodo. I don't have any illusions. Those are coming back except for like pure nostalgia. But that one actually just closed. I walked up to it yesterday uh, with my youngest son. I was like, oh, it'd be pretty cool. Let's go rent a movie just for the fun of it. And it was closed. I was so Aww, bummed. Sad So day. bummed. Yeah, they were there for like literally like 30 years. And they have like all these movies they got to sell now and they're going to try to do something online, but who knows if that's going to happen. So it was really sad. And apparently uh, they were saying that they are one of the last uh, video stores in, in the country. So I don't know how well video stores are faring in the rest of the country, but according to them, they are one of the very, very few or were anyway. So we've got one less now. Um, kind of sad, but you know, things have to change. And with the advent of, download and you know instant gratification that's just not a thing anymore but anyway old man old man times old man times <laughs> old man tears i mean thank anyway. goodness we at least have gamefly now yeah yeah geez but god for how long who knows ah, oh ah, god ah. don't even make me think about gamefly going away because that oh, would be I very know. sad i could never afford to keep up anyway let's not we're, we're way <laughs> way afield here uh Corey, why don't you take the next comment man 
All right, this is from Jez, who wrote in on our last show as well, who's writing back in. Uh, Jez says uh, he's from Chorley in the UK. Um, I don't know where that is, but I'll just pretend like I do for the sake of this. It's, um, a, it's in the UK. Well, <laughs> you son of a bitch. Of course it's in the UK. He said that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, he said, not only are my previous comments about liking the banter still valid, but as I mentioned a few podcasts before, it's also because... Your lives, culture, and tone of voice is just enough to be almost exotic, which I am going to assume that he's talking about me here because I am gay and I've got a little bit of a gay voice going on, so I'm nice and exotic over here. In Wait a minute, what? No, I'm, I got the sexy voice. It's not you. What? Please. I take please. offense at that, sir. All right, we're going to fight over whose voice is sexier for the show. Um, he said, he goes on to say, uh, Corey living in New Orleans is uh, one of my wife's want-to-visit places, um, so that's always interesting. And Brad homeschooling is also a desire of my wife, which I've decided isn't going to happen due to lack of time in pretty good local schools. Uh, anyway, he was wondering how many countries download your podcast. Um, and you know, I actually looked this up right before the show because honestly, I, I don't look up these kind of stats very much. And to the best of my knowledge, it's actually not that easy to get these stats because there's so many ways for people to get our podcast and for people to listen to them, um, like whether they're using their own devices and their own apps, such as like Apple Podcasts, because I use the podcast um, app on Apple anytime I listen to podcasts, that's always what I use, um, or like Stitcher or Pocket Cast or something like that. Um, and as far as I know, I can't get stats from those sources. Um, I might be wrong on that because I don't look it up very much, but um, I can, however, get our stats from SoundCloud because SoundCloud is our primary uh, place where we publish the podcast here because um, you can just embed it anywhere and it also provides an RSS feed uh, number for people to put into their own podcast links and whatever. So, uh, but I got some stats from SoundCloud and which I thought were interesting because I had never looked this up before. So uh, Jez, just in case you're wondering, um, which you are because you asked, according to SoundCloud, um, our top countries are, but keep in mind, some of these are in the single digits and SoundCloud only represents a very small slice of what I'm assuming is everybody who listens to the show. Because um, these stats will only be for the people who get on SoundCloud and press the play button on there and listen to the show from SoundCloud directly. But our top country is the United States. Obviously, I sort of assume that would be the case. Uh, next up is Canada, then Germany, then the UK, and then Hong Kong. Brad, do you have any comments about those before I talk about the cities? No, that's a pretty good uh, selection of cities and countries. I'm really uh, thrilled to hear that there are so many people around the globe uh, who are listening. I kind of wonder, are they expats? who want a little bit of, like, American-style gaming news? Are they people who live in that country who are curious about what the scene is over here? I would like to know that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put another question out to our <laughs> listeners. If you are a listener in one of those countries or in any other country, uh, I don't know, let, give us a shout-out. Let us know where you are and why do you listen. I would, I would love to hear that. And I looked up, just for funsies, what some of our top cities are. And our top city is actually not in the United States. Our top city is in Calgary, Canada, which I thought was interesting. And our second top city is Newburyport, Massachusetts, and then Bristol, Rhode Island, Tucson, Arizona, and then Pacifica, California after that for our top cities. Wow, interesting, interesting. I, I mean, I'm not 
super well versed in uh, geography. So I, I mean, are those big cities? I mean, Calgary's pretty big. Bristol is Bristol a big city? I don't uh, know Tucson. I I've think, heard of Tucson. Yeah, I've been to uh, Patrick's um, sister lives in Tucson, and I've been there. I think Tucson's pretty big. Like Phoenix and Tucson, if I'm not mistaken, are the biggest cities in Arizona. Um, but this also like. As I mentioned before, only represents the people who actually listen on SoundCloud. So this yeah. could be like way off. Like I don't really know. Um, I'm sure it's very skewed. Yeah, because I mean, I think probably actually going to SoundCloud and actually clicking on that link are probably it's probably one of the least popular ways to catch our show. I would be shocked if that was uh, a very uh, accurate representation of the total audience. But good research, though. Those are that's really interesting to hear in any event. Yeah, I thought so too. And I also don't know, um, in case you didn't know, on SoundCloud, we make all of our episodes downloadable. So if you go to SoundCloud, you can just click the download button, like in the top right corner of the little show, like Soundwave. And I, d I don't even know if these stats count the people who download our shows or if it only counts people who stream our shows on SoundCloud. I really, I probably should have looked this up a little bit more heavily, but... Uh, so I'm not I'm not really sure about that. I'm not good with stats, obviously. You can tell I you can tell I want to market the show really hard to an audience with how well I don't know any of our stats for listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing you don't work in PR, my friend. Seriously, seriously. Uh, I think we have one final comment, and then we're gonna launch into the games chat. I do uh, promise we will have some games chat at some <laughs> point tonight. Uh, <laughs> Uh, final comment comes from Sleeve from over at the uh, GameCritics.com posting of the podcast. We also post there as well as uh, So Video Games in addition to all the other places to find the show. Uh, Sleeve says, hi guys, this is uh, my first time listening to the podcast. It's pretty good. I've been listening to podcasts for over 10 years. Banter is best. Instead of focusing on technical stuff, spend as much time as you can developing on-air chemistry. People do not listen to podcasts for information. They listen because they like the people who record them. People come to sew video games uh, for the video games, but they stay for the banter. That said, <clears throat> I didn't like it when Brad just outright dismissed the Prey demo, which was last episode, I believe. With all the thought and effort that went into Prey, I felt it deserved more thought than meh, didn't like it. And that's basically an approximation of what I said last time. So <laughs> fair comment, Sleeve, fair comment. And Sleeve is a guy who's been posting at Game Critics for years. He's a great guy. Uh, love sleeve. Uh, he is, uh, very deserving of an answer to this comment and which I will now address. Um, yeah. Okay. So let me just, let me, I, I don't recall exactly what I said last episode, but I will summarize why I did not care for the prey demo. And again, let me just say up front, um, this is not me slagging on the game. Like I don't, it's not like I think the game is poor. I just, I felt like in general, it did not match what I wanted, uh, for, for my personal tastes. So my, my, my comments are basically just like, this didn't fit my taste, not that I thought the game was poor. Uh, but basically, um, I'm not a big fan of the first-person, like, exploration genre, like, where you kind of go around in first-person and look in everybody's email and computer and try to find multiple pathways and stuff. Like, I did like Deus Ex, uh, the original, and also Human Revolution, but I think those were kind of the exception and not the norm. I don't think, in general, I care for those games. I like something that's a little bit more focused and a little bit more actiony, and I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of first person stuff um, in general. Also, I did not care for the art style. It looked um, a little bit too much like Dishonored, and I did not like the Dishonored art style. Something weird and kind of chunky and gross about it. I didn't care for. Um, I did not like the concept of having to be afraid of coffee mugs and chairs and <laughs> anything else as I was walking. Like I got back attacked multiple times during the demo, and I'm never a fan of that. 
Uh, and I just, nothing about the game that I saw from the demo or in the surrounding materials uh, clicked with me from like an artistic sense. Like nothing about the game looks very visually interesting. And it's already kind of in a genre that I generally just don't like. Um, so again, that those are my, my reasons for saying, meh, didn't like it. Uh, apologize for taking the shortcut there, but that is my stance. And again, not like I know anything about the quality of the game past the demo. It just didn't seem like something that was worth my investigation personally. So hopefully that will answer your comment sleeve. And thanks for asking that and checking the mailbag. I think that's all we had. <laughs> well, Brad, do you know who does know a lot about the content of the video game prey? Oh my God. Please say it's you. Cause it sure as hell isn't me. It's me. Cause that's Yay! all I've done the past like four days is play this fucking game and <laughs> everything um, sleeve, everything that Brad just said, I'm going to wipe the table clean because I love this game. I am in love with it. And right now I'm going to talk about some of the reasons why I'm in love with it. Brad, do you have any specific questions you want to ask me about this game before I like launch into some of my stuff about it? No, nothing up front, but I do think it's important to mention that you probably are going to be covering this game for game critics, I, you know, in the interest of full disclosure. But oh, other totally. than that... Other than that, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Yes, I I played the demo, and Brad and I talked about the demo on the last show, and uh, Game Critics got a review code for this game. So full disclosure, I am playing a review copy from Bethesda. However, um, review copies, I mean, they don't like taint the way I think about games. I've gotten plenty of review copies from publishers that I've given not great scores. So that has nothing to do with, you know, my take on the game. But that's, but that's not... exactly what a tainted reviewer would say, man. <laughs> yes. Collusion, Actually, collusion. I, I've got about, I don't know, they gave me like $1,000 to give them a score that was above an eight. So, oh no, I'm, I'm ruined. There we go. They're paying me to review their game well. <laughs> but no, seriously, I uh, got Prey on Thursday night. Um, I think we got the review code on like Thursday afternoon. I downloaded it. I played, I have like almost done nothing else than play this game for the past few days. I'm about 22 hours in. And uh, so the premise of Prey, I'll give a quick catch up in case we didn't talk about it on the last show. The premise is that you play as a character named Morgan Yu. Uh, and you can play as a man or a woman version of the character, which I think is pretty great because it's kind of one of those games, um, kind of like Portal, where it doesn't really matter the gender of the character, but it just kind of is. But if I like because the game, if you pick the woman, the game is not like about her being a woman or something like that, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, 99 percent of the time, if I'm given a choice to play as a man or woman, I pick the woman every time. So I'm playing as the, the female Morgan Yu. Well, hang on, hang on a second, Corey. Let's Whoa. talk about this for a second, because I think okay. that's interesting. So you said 99% of the time you play as a woman in a game. Why is that? Uh, probably because I'm tired of playing as dudes because that's like most of, you know, like most games, it's like a grizzly brunette guy with a beard and a gravelly voice. And I just feel, I mean, we've talked on the show a few times about, you know, my views on feminism and all this stuff. And I feel like minorities and women are underrepresented in games and the cool thing about prey is you are both you're an asian woman or you can be an asian man and i just feel like i would much rather play as like a woman than some dude because a lot of the dudes are just like cookie cutter and not interesting and there are too many dudes in the game sphere as protagonists so i don't know i always choose the woman don't but correct me if i'm wrong don't you usually choose women as well oh yeah dude if there's a chick to be to be chosen i am i am choosing the chick like like the only the, there's only one game in all of history 
where for some reason I choose a guy, and that's Fallout. Like, when I'm in Fallout, I choose a guy. I don't know why. Because in every other game, I always choose a female character. Um, and I was really trying to think about why that is. Um, I think part of it is, like, is, uh, you know, this probably is not going to sound great on me, but, like, you know, if I got to look at a character for, like, who knows how many hours, <laughs> I'd rather be looking at a woman rather than a guy, you know? I mean, you know, I that just, just for visual, visual enjoyment's sake. Um, but also... Uh, it's kind of complicated, but I think that growing up, I think most of my friends were actually women. And I think now most of my friends still are women. And I think I just kind of have like a more positive association with like women than I do with men. I think I know a lot of assholes, uh, who are guys and I kind of like don't want that in my game. And so I tend to choose the gender, which I have like more positive thoughts about, if that makes any sense. Totally. Cause dudes are gross. Yeah. They're dicks. Guys suck. I don't know why anybody likes guys at all. Yeah, they are the worst. For They're sure. the worst. They're the worst. <laughs> yeah, seriously, the worst. though. <laughs> Guys are terrible. <laughs> All right, anyway, sorry to derail. Get back to Prey. Let's talk okay, about Prey. Okay, so, and Prey, you're Morgan. You're like the senior VP of some kind of something for this, like, uh, science firm that uh, takes over a, uh, a big old space station that was built, in, I think it was built in, like, the 80s, and then it was abandoned, and then it gets bought out by a private, um, like, science company, and gets reappropriated for, I don't know, some kind of space uh, research or something. And you're on the space station. Everything looks... I like... Okay, so last week we talked about the fact that it's, like, science fiction and, like, sort of like an old, like, art deco at the same time. Kind of almost steampunk, almost. And I actually like that the game explains that a little bit. Because, like I said, the space station was built... I, th I think the game explains that the space, station, the space station was built by the government in, like, the 80s. And then it was abandoned after they lost funding or something. And then this company, uh, Transtar, I'm probably getting that wrong, um, uh, bought it up and then uh, reappropriated it for their uses. So that explains why everything is kind of like, looks like it's like Mad Men in space in a way. Um, so I think that's neat. But basically you're on the, you're on the plant. Uh, there is a, a technology called neuromods that they're developing, and it's basically like this thing that you inject like into your eyeball, um, for better or for worse, and it gives you like upgrade abilities. It's very, very similar to um, to like splicing and Bioshock, um, that kind of thing. And you uh, basically this alien presence called Mimics or Typhons, if you will, a mimic as a form of Typhon gets loose on the space station. She gets crazy. And then you have to like figure out what to do with the space station. And initially the game sets it up to where your final objective is like to go like Ellen Ripley on Talon one's ass and just like blow the whole thing up and get out of there. And actually you're, you're not even supposed to get out. You you're supposed to blow the whole space station up at the end of the game and blow yourself up with it. And basically rid the space station of any Typhon presence by blowing the whole thing up. But at a certain point down the plot line, it becomes apparent that there's multiple things you can do. You don't have to blow it up. You can blow it up. Um, you could escape. I don't know exactly how many options there are because to be honest with you, I've been playing this game for 22 hours and I've spent about, probably like 16 of those hours, like doing non plot related activities, because I'm the kind of video gamer where if you put me in a room and you give me the, the main quest objective marker for this door, for door A, I'm gonna beeline it for door B as fast as I can and explore as much stuff as I can before I get funneled into main quest line. And that's what I really like about this game is that there is a big sense of exploration in it. Um, like, I mean, I played for a for hours and hours, probably like 
15 hours like there you have to do some main plot related stuff at the beginning because obviously the game has to funnel you into it and get you going and then you get in the lobby and it just kind of opens it up for you to do whatever you want and i spent probably like 12 to 15 hours just like exploring all these different areas of the space station and not doing main quest related stuff and i really like that about the game um if i don't know if i've mentioned it on this show but a couple years ago my game of the year was a game called soma by frictional games and Soma has a lot of the same uh, sort of uh, things going on where you're like in an underwater sort of research facility and you're exploring it and it's like a first person survival horror game. It's one of those games where you don't, there's no combat, where you like run from enemies and it's really scary. I absolutely adore Soma. Prey to me feels like Soma, but with combat. Like if they had put combat in Soma, that this is what it feels like because it's got this, I get the exact same sense of exploration that I do that I did from Soma where you're just walking around, looking at stuff, sneaking around, I'm trying to figure out how to get around because sometimes doors are locked and in the very like dishonored and deus ex fashion, you have to like climb on pipes sometimes, you can open doors uh, or like open little like vents and stuff and climb around in like maintenance areas. Um, and I want to clear up something I said last week. Uh, I talked about the combat from the demo last week not being very tight and like not being very well put together. And on one hand, I still stand by those comments. I don't think the combat is very tight in this game. But on the other hand, I have come around to it and I actually have come to understand that this game, it's not supposed to be a combat game. Like this isn't the kind of game where it's not Doom, like despite being uh, published by Bethesda, it's not, you know, a run and gun shooting aliens on a space station kind of thing. This is a game that's much more about moving slowly, about tracking your environment, about crouching, about trying to get the drop on enemies or trying to set up traps for them, or, you know, trying to, you know, maybe take a couple shots at an enemy and then run off and hide um, and stuff like that. It's definitely not about opening a door, seeing an alien across the room, and then just jumping in headfirst and, you know, pulling out your shotgun and shooting. I mean, you can certainly do that, but things probably won't end up very well for you because this game is hard and I'm playing on easy and it's still hard. Like, I I basically, every enemy encounter that I have, I escape with, like, a sliver of my health. I mean, I have plenty of health kits, so that's where it kind of gets easier. But, you know, it doesn't, there's no, there's not much auto health regeneration. And there, and you have to use health kits. If you forget to use a health kit, you're dead, you know, in the water. Or dead in space or something. Uh, and... <laughs> And, uh, and, and so it's difficult, but I appreciate the way the game does combat because it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to be a shooter. It's not supposed to be an action game. And I, I really like that about it. And it just took me a little while to come around to it. I mean, it does get a little bit frustrating whenever, like, uh, cause the mimics, some of the mimics can, as the name suggests, uh, take the form of other things like a coffee mug on a table or even like a health kit. So if you walk in a room and you're like, oh sweet, there's a health kit over there. <laughs> Sometimes you walk up to it and it turns into a mimic and it slaps you in the face and then jumps behind you. Um, the mimics are very similar to head crabs and half-life where they're very fast. They jump around a lot. Um, and you have a wrench that you can fight with and swing your wrench at them. And I still get frustrated here and there because the enemies are very quick and some of the enemies, the bigger mimic uh, forms, the phantoms can like teleport a little bit, but it's like, it's not annoying. It's like slightly annoying, but it's not never, ever, ever close to the point where I'm like, Oh, this is so annoying. I'm going to give up on this game because I, I just, uh, I, I just love this game. This is like a Corey ass game where I can do all this exploration without having to follow down the main quest line and I can pick up resources and I can craft, you know, more bullets and more neuromods. And, uh, 
And uh, I mean, the neuromods are very similar to splicing and Half-Life or splicing in Bioshock. You have your gun in your right hand. The game does not have down the sights aiming. So the left trigger actually does your psychic abilities because pretty early in the game, maybe like five hours in, you get the ability to, um, to open up your skill tree in order to upgrade your neuromods with uh, alien abilities. So you can do like kind of like a fire blast or like a psychic attack or, you know, like pick up items with your hand, like telekinesis and like throw them and stuff. But the game kind of sort of leads me to believe that if you over upgrade your alien abilities, that maybe you'll like turn into an alien or maybe the ending won't be as good. So I'm actually, for my first playthrough, I'm going to hold off on upgrading alien abilities at all. I'm only doing human upgrades because I want to remain a purist. And I hope that the game has a new game plus mode where I can just pick it up on the second play and then like turn like full on alien in the second game. I don't know if it has new game plus or not, but I guess I'll find out. Um, but that, and uh, so that's a one thing about the upgrade skill. And the last thing I want to mention, uh, Brad, before, if you have any questions for me is that, um, I, uh, you know, initially when I went into the game and it sort of like gave me the option, like the end game goal of blowing up the whole ship. I was like, well, hell yeah, I'm going to blow up this whole ship. Like, why wouldn't I? Obviously, I don't want to survive this. I don't want these mimics to get back to Earth. I don't want them to be in space. But I mean, honestly, the more I play the game, the more I'm thinking about not blowing up the space station because it takes a while, especially if you do a lot of like tertiary exploration. But eventually you meet like other living people on the station. And, you know, of course, they give you a bunch of quests that are like, oh, do you want to help this person or, you know, or do the side quest or do you want to, you know, tell them to fuck off and not do the side quest? And of course, because I'm always like the the morally positive gamer that I am, I am doing all the side quests for people. I'm helping as many people as I can. And at the end of the day, I'm thinking, well, what's the point of helping all these people if I'm just going to blow them all up in the space station at the end of the game? So maybe I'll try to figure out a way to get us off the space station without blowing it up, or maybe we can escape and then I can blow it up after or something. So the game is actually doing a pretty good job of making me like rethink my initial, um, I guess, like end game goal for it, which I think is a good thing. Um, but I just talked for like a million years on my own. Brad, do you have any follow-ups or any questions about anything I've said so far? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I was going to ask you if you had gotten the transform ability, but you just said that you were going to kind of stay human. So I guess the answer to that is no. Um, yeah, I guess. I, so I'm hearing you and I know you like your tastes and what you like. And so that makes sense to me. It makes sense that you would like this. But like when I'm hearing you talk about it and when I think back to like my own experiences in games, like like tell me what makes this like substantially different from something like a deus ex or like um you know any of those games like a dishonored or something where it sounds like uh, at least surface wise it sounds like you're just doing the same thing but in space like is it really that different because it sounds like you know you have the the skill tree and you pick which skills to select and i'm sure that those skills will play into which routes you can take through the level and then you get side quests and explore i mean it sounds so similar and that was kind of one of the things that, I, that kind of turned me off of the demo was it just felt like I had done this a million times before. Like, I know that you like these games and that's fine. Like, I mean, people can like them. It's totally fine. I don't have a problem with that. But like, what what is it about this that makes it stand out from any of these other similar games that have come before to you? Like, what, like, what, like sell me on this or like sell, sell this game in general. Okay, I'm going to do my best here because I hadn't really given this any thought before. Okay, so... In, in the realm of all the games that it's being compared to, it's being compared to Deus Ex, to Dishonored, obviously, because it's the same development, so the same developing studio, um, to Half-Life, to Bioshock. Out of all the games that it's that it's being compared to, it feels 
more similarly to Bioshock and Deus Ex to me than it does to Dishonored and to Half-Life. And one of the things that I really like about it, because everything you just said is true, it's totally one of those first-person games where you can take, you know, 10 routes in every level, you have, you know, your skill trees to upgrade and all that stuff. But what, I think what sets it apart for me is that it's different from Dishonored because Dishonored, it has a linear set of levels where you go to this level and then you can do whatever you want in it and then you, there's a definite cutoff point and then you go to the next level and there's a cutoff point and you go to the next level. Um, it's different than that because the almost the whole game is open as soon as you get to it. It's very much like Bioshock in that sense where like, and Bioshock and Rapture, at a certain point you can go anywhere, you can backtrack anywhere, um, you can visit the entire place uh, basically on a whim. And Prey is a lot like that, where Talos 1, I mean, certain sections are closed off because of, you know, minor story things that get revealed later. But you can explore, like, 60% of the station after the first, like, hour or two of the game and totally just play at your own pace. The game is not nagging you to do anything, you know, immediately. You don't have someone ringing in your ear every five minutes saying, oh, remember that main quest you're supposed to be doing? Like, why don't you go do this? It's kind of like Fallout on that sense where you can just, like, do whatever you want. And I like it, um, like, in comparison to Deus Ex, uh, I mean, Deus Ex is very much like a stealthy, you know, dude versus other dudes video game where Prey is more like, I mean, obviously you're fighting these like alien creatures so it gives it a really good sense of intensity because because the mimics can take the form of anything around them every single room i walk into i i mean i'm like kind of scared the game is actually scary a lot because bioshock was scary here and there and this game is too like i mean in deus ex i'm never scared and dishonored i'm never scared but there's an element of like fear and prey where you walk in a room and you have to survey it very carefully in case something, you know, in case that coffee mug on the table actually is a mimic and you get a little eyepiece later in the game that lets you scan things and research things and you can get an upgrade that lets you identify things if you're using the eyepiece. Like if the coffee mug is a mimic, it'll say, it'll tag it as a mimic so that you know. Um, but I don't always remember to use the eyepiece. I'm not, I don't scan every single room I walk into because it's a little bit time consuming. But uh, it has a, a more of an element of survival horror to it where, yeah, there is combat and there is shooting and, you know, you have a shotgun that you can upgrade and everything. But you still have to be very careful about every room you walk into. You have to tread very lightly where you're going. You can't just, you know, turn on the dash button and run through every single room in this area. And I feel like that element of sort of like intense, fearful exploration is really what sets it apart a little bit from like a Deus Ex game or from a Bioshock or or a, like Dishonored or something like that. And I just really, I really like that. And also, I mean, uh, you know, Brad, that like my aesthetic, I love science fiction. I like if you give me Elder Scrolls or Fallout, I'm going to pick Fallout every time. You know, I'm going to pick Mass Effect over Dragon Age every time because I love sci-fi. I love the future. I love that, just that aesthetic over, um, you know, like steampunk or, you know, dragons and fantasy and shit. And this game is totally right up there. I mean, it's it's definitely, it's like retro futuristic. Um, I just love the aesthetic. Um, I love the, the, the kind of exploration that it has. So I don't know if that totally answers or sells sells you on it brad but that is that's just i don't know what i think about it and how it sets it apart right on i mean that makes sense um i don't think that's enough to sell me on it but that's okay because i was kind of not sold from the beginning i don't think there's probably anything that can sell me on this game honestly so that's <laughs> fine 
I just was kind of curious. I just want one final question before we move on, Corey. Um, you kind of already answered it, but, you know, I was kind of irritated by the mimics um, in the game. You know, there's no uh, eyepiece like you mentioned in the demo. So I was constantly like, you know, stuff was turning into, you know, from a mug and then turning into monster and chase it down. It kind of irritating. I just was kind of irritated by that. Like, <laughs> does it remain irritating throughout the whole game? I mean, I know you said it's kind of scary, but like, it just seems kind of irritating. How do you how do you take it? Well, I think it gets less irritating the more you play it because A, you get used to it, B, you get used to the combat system, and C, and maybe most importantly, is that eventually if you want to, you can buy upgrades to sort of help with that because like I'm all about using the wrench. Like I use the wrench for melee for like 70% of my attacks against enemies in the game and there's like a power-up where it increases like uh, wrench damage and then there's another power-up for wrench damage and then there's a power-up that does... Uh, that gives you like a 25% chance to get like a critical hit with the wrench or something like that. So um, if you're careful and if you sneak up on enemies and if you hit the enemy without them seeing you, you get a bonus critical hit every single time for a sneak attack. And if you upgrade the wrench, because most mimics now I can kill in one hit for my wrench just because I'm I'm powered up enough and I'm, I'm leveled enough for it. So it makes it a little bit less irritating because early on in the game, if, you know, the coffee mug turns into a mimic, you're, like, you know, spinning around the room like an idiot, swinging your wrench, and it probably takes, like, four or five hits on a mimic to kill it. But now, I mean, if it transforms, I pretty much hit it once and it's dead. Even some of the phantoms that are, like, bigger, like, human-like enemies, I can kill those in, like, three or four hits for my wrench. So it just gets a little bit easier, and you get used to it the more you play. But it's still has that intensity because the mimics are uh, mimicked, I guess. Right on, right on. Well, um, that answers my question. I still not sold, but that's okay. Like I said, probably wasn't going to be sold, but <laughs> hopefully people listening have gotten some information as to whether they would want to jump in or not. Um, how far along, I mean, don't spoil anything, but like how far along do you think you are in the game? You feel like you're pretty close or what? Uh, you know, that's a really difficult question to answer because I've been playing it for a long time. I mean, like I said, I'm like 22 hours in, but really, I mean, I don't, it's really hard to say how far I am plot wise. I've, I made significant plot leaps like last night when I played it, but even so, I don't think I'm anywhere close to the end of it, but I, I don't know. It could be because with video games, it's so hard. It could be one of those video games where I think I'm nowhere close to the end of it, and then suddenly the game's over, like Deus Ex Mankind Divided, or it could be one of those games where I think I have 10 hours left, and then there's really like 20 hours left or something. So yeah, I'm not, I don't think I can supply an accurate answer to that question. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I think we've probably uh, talked pretty to death. Anything you want to add before we move on? Um, I don't think so. I, I love this game. And I, it's one of those games that I can literally sit down and play for like four and five hours in a stretch if I have the time, which I do right now. So I recommend it and I will be reviewing it for Game Critics in the future whenever I finish it. And I would just like to add, I knew this is going to be a Corey ass video <laughs> game and I am glad that I was proven right. Better you than me, my friend. Better you than me. All right, let's move on. We've talked about Prey. Um, up next. Oh, gosh. I kind of wanted you to take the lead on this, but you just talked for a million years. Uh, you want me to you want me to start off with this, or what do you think? Uh, I mean, I can if you don't want to, but you can because I just talked a lot. Uh, I'll will start it and then I'll let you take over because I feel like this is this is definitely more of a Corey. Yeah, okay, yeah. Let me let me take it first because this is this is more of a Corey joint. We got two Corey games back to back. The next game we're going to be discussing is 
What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, that came out April 25th, and according to my information, it was the last game in Sony's indie lineup event. They do something like that every year, just about. Developed by Giant Sparrow, who also did Unfinished Swan. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Unfinished Swan, published by Annapurna Interactive. Uh, currently available for PC and PS4. Um, I'll just give an info or intro, and I'll I'll say what I, I what I felt, and then I will let you uh, rage and and take over and just blow me out of the water on this one, Corey. <laughs> um, so what what remains of Edith Finch? Uh, to summarize, what is it about? It's basically kind of like a walking simulator or a environmental exploration slash uh, I don't know emotional impressions game. I'm not sure how you want to categorize <laughs> it, but. Uh, it's one of those games that I think is very clearly meant to make you feel something rather than to be like more of the traditional action-based gameplay, which is fine. Um, you play as Edith Finch, and she is, uh, at the beginning of the game, a 17-year-old girl. She is on a ferry in Washington State, my home state, and she is going out to Orcas Island, which I've actually been to. It's a real place. And she has inherited this giant house, her family house, the Finch house. Um, So apparently everybody else is dead. She's inherited it. She goes out there. Her mom gives her a key. And it's not exactly clear why she's going out there, but it kind of unfolds as you go along. So basically, uh, the gameplay is you, you walk to the house. Uh, the premise is that the house has been, every room in the house has been boarded up because the people who live there were kind of eccentric. And so not only are the doors boarded up, they each have a peephole in them. And then there are also like a bunch of hidden passages in the house. So that actually, even though they're boarded up, every room is basically accessible um, in a certain path. Um, I found it to be a f- a linear game. I do not think you can go in any order. I think you have to go in a very specific order except perhaps for the very beginning. I think you might have a little bit of flexibility there. But basically, it's a linear progression through this house. Every time you get into a room, there is, you know, of course, lots of environmental information. There are voiceovers. There's text on the screen that uh, tells what Edith is thinking to herself. And she has a book that shows the family tree. And so as you um, go in each room and find out the story of the person that lives there, uh, they will, you'll be transported into that story. Like in one section, there's a, a daughter and a father who go on a hunting trip. And so it's like, you know, you are like living that hunting trip with them. There's one little girl who is like having like a, a, a strange dream about being hungry. And so you go on that dream with her and then you come back to being Edith and you kind of learn about that person. Um, so that's the nutshell. I don't want to say too much more about it um, in order to avoid spoiling it. Uh, although kind of not really sure there's a lot to spoil I guess maybe you'll disagree Corey but um I think the game was very beautiful I think visually it's great um and it was neat that that it was set here in my home state because uh you know I've been on the ferry I will say they got the ferry wrong the ferry did not look correct that was kind of a bummer (laughs) wrong ferry um but the island Orcas Island did look correct and the house that they go to I've actually been in many houses that look like that not as crazy as that house is because it's like room upon room and this weird like tower and the you know it, it's not crazy like that it's not like the winchester mystery house but like the interior of the house i felt was very accurate to a lot of homes that i've seen here in the northwest lots of books um you know fireplace like the tone of the wood kind of the interior lighting that's kind of shadowed by the trees outside i felt like they were pretty on point with that like that felt to me 
Very, very accurate. So I, I was really pleased to see that. As far as the actual game itself, I think you could probably finish the whole thing in about three hours, give or take. And, you know, I don't want to be like harsh to it because, you know, it's an indie joint and it's obviously a walking simulator. So you got to take a grain of salt when you go into it. But this to me very much felt like one of those indie games that really meant a lot to the people who were making it. But I feel like they kind of failed to open that up to people who are not them. And Corey, I'm sure you're going to disagree. So hang on for just one more <laughs> second. Um, it just felt like I liked the idea of like exploring this family tree and seeing the history of the family in this house. But at the same time, it just didn't connect to me and it didn't really relate. And I was hoping that there would be kind of something at the end to kind of tie it all together. And I just did not feel like it got there. Like I felt like there were a few pieces missing that would have potentially like made the whole thing fit in a very, well, in, in a more conventional way to my mind. Um, so for me, when I got done with the game, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I just felt like it didn't get to where it was going. I felt like I got some interesting vignettes. I got the interesting story of the family members, but I don't feel like it really added up to anything. And at the end, I felt like the message didn't quite land. So I felt like the, the point was missing um, and I kind of felt unsatisfied at the end of it. Um, and that's kind of like all I have to say about it. Like it's, it's, it's pretty, I like the idea in general, but it just didn't get there for me. Corey, I know for a fact that you're probably just screaming, screaming inside right now. You're probably just raging. You're angry. Can't believe it. <laughs> Brad, what an asshole saying all these terrible things. Lay it on me, sir. What is your take on what remains of Edith Finch? Okay, so first of all, I'm not like mad at you or anything because I know that this is like totally not your cup of tea. Like this is not really a game that Brad would be into. Um, totally a game that I would be into because if you know anything about me, I like games where you hit aliens with wrenches and then I like games where you explore old areas when kill no people and you just do walking around and learning people's stories and... Uh, like, I love, like, walking simulator type games, um, like, uh, Dear Esther, I Adore, uh, The Vanishing of Ethan Carter, um, Ether One, uh, I really, really like these games a lot. I think that there is a very special place for them in the games industry, and I think that a lot of people who develop these games don't quite get the respect that they deserve and get the, uh, like, uh... I guess like marketing and like promotion that they deserve because they're very unconventional games in my opinion, but I love them. And um, honestly, when I finished this game, uh, it immediately became my front runner for game of the year. Whenever I finished it. Whoa, um, dude, that's, yeah. that's a, that's pretty heavy. That's pretty yeah. heavy. This, this totally is like, if this were December like fifteenth, that I would be crowning this game my game of the year right now. Um, wow. Yeah, honestly, uh, I thought it was beautiful. Um, it's it's kind of one of those games like you said earlier. I don't want to say a whole lot about because this is like totally a game where everyone who plays it, they're like, oh, don't look anything up about it, just go play it. And I mean, that's sort of how I feel about it because in in these like narrative adventure games, I mean, story is everything. Story is front and center because it, without the story, the game would not exist. I mean, and so obviously you can't say a whole lot. I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head with how the game progresses. You go through all the rooms, you sort of learn 
the past, about everyone in the family, as you're coming to grips with the fact that now you are the last surviving member of the family, of the legacy, and the house is yours to do whatever you want with, and you want to learn about everybody that basically was in the legacy of the family. Um, but, uh, I mean, I can count on... It takes... Uh, you know, one and a half hands to count how many games that have made me cry that I've played in my lifetime. And I cried twice while playing this game. And when the credits rolled, I was still really sad. And it was one of those games where like the credits rolled and I turned the game off and I just like sat on my couch and like weeped for a few minutes because a lot of like very heavy stuff happens in this game, in my opinion. And it just like hit all the right notes for me in the right ways and I felt like I was able to really like sympathize with what was happening with sort of each character and each vignette and I, I do partially agree with you that I feel like the ending like it didn't quite fit together in a conventional way but I also think that's okay because this is a very unconventional game and I think that there's something to be said for a narrative that does not, you know, tie a nice little bow around everything and that sort of, like, leaves you there with, you know, things to think about and sort of, like, you sort of seal up the game on your own and you have to, like, think about the things that weren't sealed up and um, and you just think about it. And I don't know, I think this game is just beautiful. I, I adore this game and I... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than I I love it. I cried while playing it. I cried after playing it, and it's currently in my game of the year. Well, see, that's interesting because you know, I, I now that we're talking about it, I almost kind of wish that we had done a spoiler section on this because I kind of would like to dig in a few things. But I mean, I guess I just it just didn't connect with me, and I I kind of just wondered like like why? Like, I mean, uh, the people in these vignettes uh, generally don't end up in a good way, and so. Uh, you know, you see these stories, but I just, I just didn't get like what I was supposed to get out of it. Like I, you know, like we're, we're going along with them and I don't know these people. Like, you know, you're meeting them for the first time in these vignettes and they don't, you know, they end, it's not like you continue on. Um, so I just, they didn't connect with me and I kept waiting for there to be more to it. Like something about like, um, you know, why they all had such, such sad ends and, some of the vignettes I feel like don't even end. Like a couple of them I felt like didn't even come to an end. Uh, so that was kind of left hanging. And then at the end, I mean, the game is called What Remains of Edith Finch. And like, I felt like even though we play as Edith Finch, we we learn like the least about Edith Finch. And so um, when the game is over, I'm just like, I, I'm like, and? Like, I just I just felt like the whole thing was like this giant ellipsis where I, I kept waiting for it for it just to click and like it just never did i mean weird i mean i don't know like what i mean without spoiling it let's not spoil anything but like like what was something that you came away with like what did you think about or what what struck you can you name like one or two things really quickly well i think for me the game even though the game is what remains of edith finch i don't i mean the game is totally like not about her like it's about her family and her legacy and it's about you know like what how each specific person and her family had to deal with certain issues in a different way. And I mean, like you said, none of the, none of the characters end up in a very great situation. And I think that that is what was really kind of intense for me is like going into each of these characters lives and knowing like, okay, I know that eventually something is not going to end well for this person, but I want to, you know, here I am and I'm forced to explore sort of what, 
who they were, you know, a section of their life and try to, you know, see if I can relate to it and, and cling to it. And then, but ultimately knowing that, you know, that things just aren't going to end well for them and what, you know, and how that comes about. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to pretend like I came away from the game, like thinking about life in a different way or something like that. Cause it's like, I mean, it's not that, but it's just like the time that I spent with each of these characters and the very creative ways that giant Sparrow, um, gave each character their own vignette that was very personal to that character and played they each play in a very different way um like it's very like content driven that's personal for each character um I, I it was just like i never felt like i was doing the same thing all the time because each character's um each character's like story plays in a different way like like literally you play it differently and i just really appreciated that about it because a lot of walking simulators it's literally just like you walking around and looking at stuff and then the game's over but in this one you actually there's like different vignettes of gameplay mechanics involved i mean there's one section that's like like literally almost like pokemon snap like to be honest and i just liked how it mixed up those gameplay elements a lot in it i think yeah, I mean that's true. I did I did like that. I mean, I felt like there was a good variety and you kind of were always wondering what was going to happen next. And even when you got into the vignettes, like you just didn't know. They were so bizarre and kind of surreal. So I mean, I thought that was cool, but I don't know, man. I guess I'm just that kind of gamer who like at the end of the day, not that I necessarily need a concrete like bow or ribbon tied at the end of it, but I just I just didn't know like what I was supposed to connect with or what I was supposed to come away with or I just it just didn't click with me. So I just, I just, I just kind of felt outside the whole experience the entire time. And then by the time it was over, I was like, okay, that's done. Moving on. And I just, it just, it just didn't touch me at all. So, I mean, I totally respect your feelings and I, I had a feeling you were going to like this game a lot more than I did. Not, not a surprise there. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't dislike it. I just felt like it just needed a little bit more. It just didn't quite get there for me. So. Anyway, I'm sure we will be discussing this game again come December. <laughs> uh, yes, definitely. I also, before we move on, I just want to say that um, it's interesting to me that this game didn't connect with you as much because I know on a few shows we've talked about how, like, I'm not a very emotional person and I'm pretty, like, distant most of the time. But, like, you put a game like this in my lap and, you know, I, like, weep like a baby on my couch. And I feel like... I thought it might resonate more with you because the video game is about like a family and a legacy and there's vignettes where you like play as children. And I mean, you like have a wife, you have kids, like you obviously have a stronger tie to like a family legacy than I do. And I thought maybe that would like hit a little bit more for you, but I guess it didn't. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you would think that, and I definitely can recall a few times, like, kind of being surprised that, like, I had a stronger reaction to other games than, than you did in, in past episodes. Um, but I guess just for this one, I just felt like, why are you guys doing this? What does this mean? Why did this happen? And, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, like, coming from the family that I do, my family is a bit mega dysfunctional. And I'm sure that everybody says that, but, like, my family was really... Um, just a lot of problems, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of stuff going on. And so I work really hard to like fix that in my current life. Like I want to be a better father than my father was to me. I want my child to have, um, you know, a happier home life than I had. And I feel like I'm really successful at doing that. And so like when I see a game like this, where it's like these people who are kind of flailing around 
and doing these weird choices. It's just like, it's just, I'm like, why are you doing this? Like, I don't, I don't get like, what, why, you know, I just, it's, I don't know. It just kind of bounced off me. The whole thing just really bounced off me. I think that if I had um, connected with any of the characters, like on a more personal level, maybe that would have been my entryway in, but like, I didn't connect with Edith. Uh, and like, as you know, and, and like we said, like you just, you see get so little time with these characters and they're all generally doing weird things. And so it just did not, did not land. And, you know, at the end, I don't, I'm not going to spoil anything, but at the end you go to a new location. And I thought for sure that was the location where something was going to happen and it just doesn't. And I'm like, man, that was the perfect time for something cool to happen. And it didn't happen. And I just was like, man, you guys, I don't know. So. <laughs> Anyway, that's all. That's all I got to say about Edith Finch. Uh, any any last little comments before we move on? Uh, I mean, I know whenever you say that, I know exactly what part you were talking about, and I I actually had the same reaction as you for a while. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like the fact that something didn't happen and like this sort of like big truth was almost like robbed from Edith with no explanation actually resonates more than if it had just been explained to her you know what i mean yeah i mean it's not necessarily that i would have even needed a specific explanation and i definitely concede that it would have been the more typical video gamey thing to have something happen there um but i just you know i just needed that one little bit and i feel like that would have put it over the top for me so i mean i i respect that they didn't do that because that's obviously the more unconventional choice at the same time for me the more unsatisfying choice but Oh, well. Oh, well. That That is what remained of Edith Finch. Um, <laughs> uh, one more game that we are going to talk about in today's show, and this one I will take the lead on. Since you have not played Little Nightmares, have you, Corey? I haven't. It is like, it's totally one of those games where as soon as it hits a sale, I will buy it immediately, but uh, I have not played it. Okay, so I have been playing Little Nightmares. Um, I needed a little bit of a break from playing Zelda because Zelda is a huge game, takes forever, and sometimes you can play Zelda and just not feel like you're doing much. Uh, still like it. I still like it. Um, but uh, I just needed something else. I needed something smaller, something digestible. I played Edith Finch, and I thought that was going to tide me over, but that was over pretty quickly, like I said, about three hours, and I just I left feeling kind of not satisfied with that. So I was looking around for something else that was also short, and a number of people on Twitter suggested that I try Little Nightmares. This was put out on April 28th, developed by Tarsier Studios, published by Bandai Namco. Currently available for PS4, Xbox One, PC. Took a little drink of water because my throat's getting dry. Nobody noticed that. <laughs> Super sly on my part. Um, this is a very strange game for a number of reasons, but basically it's a side... Well, okay. The camera is from a side view, so it, it almost looks like it's a 2D game, but it's not 2D. Like, it's 3D, so you can go deeper in the backgrounds. You go up and down. So it's a full three dimensions, but you cannot move the camera. The camera is always looking as if it was like a regular 2D game. Uh, you play as a very small character. I don't know a lot about the character. It's It looks like they're naked, and they're just wearing, like, a little yellow raincoat. And they're tiny. I mean, they the way that they're portrayed in the game, it seems like they're, like four or six inches tall but it's kind of hard to tell because everything in the game is like slightly surreal um you begin the game and you're kind of like on this ship like a giant like ocean liner it kind of seems like an ocean liner but kind of doesn't seem like an ocean liner and you're just not quite sure what's going on so it's uh basically a platformer each room is broken up into sections and you uh 
push and pull things, lots of physics going on. You can like move blocks to step up on them. You can climb on things that look climbable in the environment. Uh, and as you go on, I'm, I'm kind of not even sure how much to even say about this because I don't want to spoil too much because being surprised is definitely part of the appeal. But as you go on through this ship as a very tiny, tiny little person, naked and in a raincoat, you will discover <laughs> other peop- things, people on the ship. You'll find other people that are small like you. Um, they're kind of friendly. Well, they're not hostile, but they're not really super friendly. And then you will see like much, much larger people uh, or things. And it kind of seems like that they are using you like as food, like you were a food source for these people. So maybe you're like um, a piece of ham that escaped out of the fridge and they want to <laughs> put you back in. Lots of these other creatures are in cages. You got out of a cage. And as you go through the ship, um, that comes up a lot. Like the, the food is a big um, aspect of the experience, but in like a gross way, like I, I want to categorize this as a horror game, but it's not like overtly horrific. Like it's not first person. It's not really gory. Um, There's no real, there's like maybe like one jump scare, like in the entire game. So it's not really a jump scare game, but everything about it is so unsettling and so creepy and distorted that it just makes you feel just really ooky and weird when you're playing it. And it's, it's very fascinating. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Inside, although I like it more than I like Inside. Uh, it kind of reminds me of uh, Limbo a little bit. You know, like like that genre of game where it's weird, surreal, platformy. You die a fair amount, but you got to keep going. Um, it's, it's just in that vein, but I think it's done a little better than Inside was for me. I found Inside to be a very um, unsatisfying game for a number of reasons that we don't necessarily have to go into now. We are not Uh, going into those now because Inside is a masterpiece, you bastard. You can think that, sure. Um, (laughs) uh, But it's very small. It's very compact. It's very to the point and brief, which I like. I was really in the mood for something short. It does not have very much fat on its bones. And each puzzle is pretty straightforward. I mean, there's a couple times I got a little bit stuck, but, you know, a little bit of experimentation, you make your way through. I think it's just really well done. I think the mood is great. I think the visuals are, um, they kind of look like claymation, like a Night Before Christmas, Nightmare Before Christmas or Coraline or any of those like um, stop motion movies where like the, the character is actually made of clay. So it's got a really weird look to it. And that in itself is kind of creepy, too, because it doesn't look like the average video game. Uh, but I just I'm really into it. I, I really like it a lot. I think uh, it does what it does very well. And I am suitably unsettled without being too scared to play, which is great. And I don't know where it's going because I have about one or two sections left. I hope to finish it tomorrow. But so far, thumbs up. I think that people who recommended this to me were really on point and I'm really enjoying it. And I would definitely recommend it to anybody who likes Inside or, uh, you know, any of those type of games, Limbo or something like that. It's it's, uh, it's in that same genre and it does it good. Corey, uh, I recommend this to you, my friend. I, like I said, I definitely plan on playing this at some point. Whenever, this is like slightly left field, but whenever you were describing like, first of all, like food and the unsettling feeling it gives you, by the whole time I was thinking about um, that level from Hitman Contracts, the Meat Kings party, that's like all I could think about that whole time. Oh, God, you're not too far off, man. You're not too far <laughs> off. But I will say to the game's credit, like, it's not really gory. Like, there's no explicit, like, killing or, like, when somebody catches you or, 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 or you know, quote-unquote kills you, like, you just get stopped. Like, you don't, 
you know, nobody rips your head off your body. There's no explosion of blood. Like there's, it's, it's fairly bloodless. And when the other people in the game are, are working with the food, which is really super gross and nasty. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not gory. Like it's not people being chopped up. It's not anything that you would like want to rush a child out of the room for, but it is just so unsettling and just, Oh, it just kind of just gives you the shivers because it's so nasty and surreal. It just, Something about it, like, kind of communicates to me on, like, a subconscious level where you look at it and you're like, you know this is bad stuff. Although, <laughs> on the surface, there's nothing really sensibly bad about it, but you just get that feeling, you know, like, ugh. So that's a that's a hard feeling to nail, and I think that uh, Little Nightmares nails it pretty well. Good. The more you talk about this game, the more interested I am in it. So I definitely, I know this is the kind of game that's going to go on sale at some point on PSN on, like, a flash sale, and I will snatch it up immediately when it does. Yeah, do so, do so. I uh, I got it for full price. I thought it was well worth it. Um, I think it's probably going to end up being about maybe four or five hours, maybe a little bit less than that. But that for me was fine. And I think that uh, for the price I paid and for what it does, I think it's worth it. So pick it up uh, on sale, definitely. And if you're in the mood, I still think it's a, it's a good deal um, for full price anyway. So yeah, thumbs up. And uh, that's all I have to say without spoiling anything, which I'm not going to do. Any final questions before we wrap it up? Uh, I don't think so. It sounds up my alley and it sounds like you gave me the right amount of info to not spoil things for me going in. So definitely the less I know from here on out, the better. Yeah. Yeah. And half of the game is just experiential anyway, man. I could try to describe some of the stuff, but until you see it for yourself, it's just not going to, not going to capture that same feeling. But man, some of that stuff is just like, Oh, it's not gory. And at the same time, Jesus, like, Oh, so creepy. (laughs) So creepy. Anyway, I'm good, man. I'm good. We should probably wrap it up. Why don't you bring us home, Corey? Cool, cool. All right. Well, um, that's going to do it for this episode of the So Video Games Podcast. Um, Thanks again for everybody who wrote in. Any comments, questions, anything you have. Um, You can... I always forget that the show... Because like Brad said earlier, we host the show on GameCritics.com. If there's not like a Game Critics Critics branded uh, podcast or Game Critics Radio... Uh, as it is now called, um, we put this show on GameCritics.com. And I always forget that people comment on the GameCritics.com page because I don't have like any sort of notifications for that. But you can comment on our show on GameCritics site or you can email us if you want or hit us up on Twitter um, if you have any thoughts, questions, feedback, any uh, topics for us to discuss or anything. Um, the show has been a perfect example of... Uh, sort of the situation you'll wind up in if you send us uh, any interesting comments or feedback and we want to discuss it on air. Um, if you want to send us an email uh, for any of that stuff, uh, we can be found at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. And on Twitter, we are at sovideogames. And Brad and I also have individual Twitter handles. We pretty much only use the show handle to like tweet out shows and then if anybody comments on stuff usually brad and i will like comment back with our personal twitter handles so if you want to follow us individually on twitter uh, my handle is my first and last name Corey motley it is c-o-r-e-y-m-o-t-l-e-y and brad would you like to give your twitter name yep i am brad galloway b-r-a-d-g-a-l-l-a-w-a-y all a's no o's and i do check that like a million times a day so we will definitely see comments if you hit us up there Indeed. Um, and I think that, I think that's it. Uh, Brad, do you have anything else you want to add before we sign off? No, I think that's it. It's been another wonderful show. Thanks again to everybody for listening. And you know, like we said at the top of the show, we love your comments. So if you want to uh, chat with us uh, via this forum, you are more than welcome. And uh, I think that's going to do it, man. I'm looking forward to next week, though. 
Cool, yeah. Um, we're not going to spoil anything, but Brad and I already have like one game under our belt a piece that we already know we want to talk about next week. Um, so you'll just have to wait and come back for those games. Um, it's almost like we know what we're doing. I know, almost. It's like almost. rare, rare <laughs> that Brad and I know what we're doing. Um, <laughs> but that, that's going to be it for the show uh, for this week. And we will have another show up next week. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys.